dinosaurs. Hey, you like Pez? It looks like that has Heaney from the boundary line. He's an expert at these. Hello and welcome to Behind the Boundary Podcast. I'm your host, Pez, and you are here for the preliminary finals recap show. We are also going to talk about the Brownlow medal, which was on Sunday. It kind of did creep up on me. I didn't know it was going to be on the Sunday. I thought it was uh, on the Monday like usual, but uh, it was on the Sunday. So that's probably the first thing we'll talk about. To do that, I'm here with Sauce. Hey, Pez, exciting week. Uh, and that's probably why we did schedule our um, show to be done on the Tuesday and not the Monday, thinking that uh, Brownlow was actually going to be uh, last night, but not to be. It was... Uh, Sunday night, and uh, the first time it was done, um, I guess, via Zoom, just like everything else this year. Yeah, uh, I do remember back in the day when you had uh, <laughs> Sydney playing in the grand finals in 05, 06, and they were, you know, stayed in Sydney, West Coast stayed in West Coast, and they had them over the video, but but not like this, with uh, lots of different teams and uh, gathering at Metricon, gathering at uh, all different places, and Nat Fife actually handing over the Brownlow virtually, or actually making someone give the Brownlow to themselves virtually. Yeah, it definitely did sort of sum up the the COVID or 2020, watching someone present the the Brownlow to themselves. And Lockie Neal, obviously, congratulations to him. But the old um, the old playing along like the, oh, hey, didn't see the Brownlow there sitting there all night. Like, <laughs> <laughs> very classic. Uh, and it was, a, it was a lot of fun. And I think that a lot of the players lent into the event. And um, I'll be honest, it was a quite entertaining. Um, it was a long, gruelling process for not having a live uh, telecast in terms of yep. everyone being in the same room. But yeah, they, I think they did a good job with it. When they were actually on, I think it was entertaining. The ads were very, very long because they were obviously uh, getting a bit of money for that and things. So it went a lot longer than it should have. But um, congratulations to Lockie Neal, 31 votes, winning the Brownlow medal. But the interesting thing, or the most interesting thing for me, is before the uh Telecast, Channel 7 just announced uh, we've made two Brownlow medals just yeah. in case uh, Christian Petrarca ties with Lockie Neal. And I was thinking, wait, what? What, what about Travis Boak or <laughs> Jack Steele or, or any of the other favourites that sort of were sneaking in there? Uh, really interesting that they did, did actually that. I found out what that was, Pez. It was because they both were at the same venue. So that's why they had two two Brownlows at that venue. I'm sure they had Brownlows at every other venue. Oh. Well, is that what they do? Like that's surely – it actually is a, a great question. What happens if someone like, uh, you know, for example, where Geelong were, Geelong were, wherever they were, if someone won for there, would they have had another Brownlow there as well? Like how many Brownlows actually were made? Uh, I just assume there was two because that's what they said and they knew one of those players were going to win. But um, so lot, Travis Boak has already done. Travis Boak actually uh, got it over uh, Petrarca, got second place by, by one vote and Jack Steele drew with Petrarca as well. So... Yeah, unsure on that. Bit bit stiff. Jack Steele probably in the in the last game probably should have had three votes. You and oh. I were watching that. A bit disappointed. Uh, that would have definitely brought him up to to an outright uh, second, but not to be. And it sort of brings a, a question there. What are the umpires looking at sometimes? Like I know that obviously they've got a difficult job and they're trying to control the game, but something really evident is that the the second year sort of uh, turnaround, the the makeup votes, they definitely come into fruition. As well as that, it is a midfielders award. We know that, but some of these big bags this year just didn't get recognised as opposed to some of the smaller performances from some midfielders. Yeah, definitely a midfielders award. I did notice a lot of Ruckman getting uh, a one votes during the count in twenty twenty. But Max Gorn getting uh, twos and threes when he didn't really perform this year in in my eyes. So that's what you were talking about, I'm guessing, with the the makeup uh, from the previous year. So have a good year and then you get noticed so you actually get votes um, in the next year. We, we did see it for a couple of years. I think it was the first year that Jimmy, Jimmy Bartel won it when Ablett should have won it. And then it was literally the next year, the person who was the better player from the previous year seemed to win. You had the, you know, Dane Swan, Chris yep. Judd, um, Ablett, obviously we just spoke about. And I think this year, look out for Nick Natanui next year, if he has another sort of year, because for him to get five votes, tipped to, to be in the top 20, um, tipped to, you know, end up winning his club's best and fairest and was named All-Australian Ruckman, as opposed to Max Gorn, they won more games, had more impact. And for him to get five votes, as opposed to, you know, <laughs> Uh, big Gorn to get as many as he did. Yeah, in, with Melbourne finishing ninth as well. Like it, it was very strange. Um, but another player to look out for next year because he did not get noticed all <laughs> night. Your man, Sam Menangola. Wow. He had a fantastic year. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. You and I sat down beforehand and, and broke apart the season, having a little bit of a, a cheeky punt there. But 
Wow, some of the some of the games he didn't get noticed, and it definitely will be talked about this year. Yeah, you, you're having a look at it, and he's kicked uh, kicked two goals and had 26 disposals, and then someone else gets it. I know disposals aren't everything, and uh, it's not usually uh, what the umpires should be looking at. But in previous years, the umpires have proven that they go into the rooms, they look at the stats, and then they do their three, two, one. So. Um, if the umpires didn't look at the stats, that would be absolutely amazing. But Menengola, I'm sure every media outlet every week was speaking about his performance on the wing because he was in the talks for All Australian uh, all the way through the year and uh, he had a really standout year. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting award because, you know, it's unlike any other sort of uh, most valuable player or players award across the, the, the whole, not only um, AFL, but... Across all other sports, you know, you look at the NBA and the Major League Baseball, there's a combination of the media personnel, the coaches, the players, all these other sort of different um, representatives vote on the, the best sort of players. It's the only one that we have the umpires vote and it's very evident that the umpires have got a tough job as it is and, and they're definitely only recognising the ball winners. They're, they're not watching the, the ground so big, they only see portions of the ground. It's not going to change, there's no reason why we're, we're complaining about it, but it is really interesting to see how it, it evolves going from the next year. And you're right, Sam, Sam Managola definitely will be up there next year if he has a similar sort of year as he did this year. He definitely he won a TV on uh, on Saturday night after his game. Did you see that? They the best yeah. player for the game. They gave him a TV. We, but they're talking, <laughs> just talking to him about where what you where you're going to put it. And he's yeah. like, I'm I'm not in Geelong. I'm, I can't put it anywhere yet. <laughs> as if he doesn't have a, a big screen TV anyway. <laughs> just give it but to someone else. Really odd sort of thing. But uh, you know, we know that the players, whilst it is a prestigious award, they do sort of respect the the players' association award and the coaches' one. This is one sometimes that raises a couple of eyebrows, but generally they get it right. And this year it was, it was very easy to get right because Lockie Neal, stand out from start to finish. I think he was favourite from round four and uh, never <laughs> just shortens for the rest of the year. Well, very obvious. After four rounds, he had, uh, or after five rounds maybe, he had 12, he had 12 votes. 12 votes, yeah. Just missed, missed out on votes in round, the first round. Round, round number game. one, which he probably should have uh, probably had three as well. Yeah, but speaking about that same sort of theory that we have, uh, Luke Parker has finished high in the Brownlow medal before. And he got 15 votes. Sydney had a really disappointing season. I thought there were players around Luke Parker that probably had a better season than him uh, from memory and things like that. So uh, Luke Parker to get 15 votes, either a really great effort or just I didn't know what I was watching when I was watching Sydney games. Yeah, and it's, uh, as you said, they're people that accumulate a lot of the ball. And when Sydney were, um, you know, they were competitive for, for, for what, 70% of their games that they were in. Um, you know, you look at the stat sheet and if there's no standout, you look at, you know, for example, when they played Richmond, absolute slugfest. It was, there was no real standouts from either team. But you look at the stat sheet and he rocks up 30 touches and, uh, well, that's all they're really looking at, 30 touches. You go, all right, we'll give him a couple here. He gets yep. a couple of one votes, a couple of cheeky twos. They get a win there and you look through the list and you're like, all right, I don't know him, don't know him. Ah, Lukey, Lukey Parker, there we go, thank you. Now, Job done. You're, you're right, yeah. <laughs> Now, the next theory I have on the Brownlow... <laughs> Brownlow is, conspiracy um, theories. That's what we need to call the podcast. <laughs> L- Lockie Neal, he got 31 votes this year. Travis Boak, 21. Petrarca and Steele, 20. Now, do you think the umpire is going to a meeting with the AFL after the Brownlow, have a look at the spread and go, guys, this guy had a standout year. We didn't notice him enough, so keep an eye out for him next year. I don't know if the AFL sit down. I'm sure that just like the old Australian selectors get absolutely grueled the week after, non-stop all through social media this week. Yeah, and it's in the media. It'll so be in the media. And in they'll get face. hammered this year. And then, you know, when they, they look at not only – and I reckon it's not only the umpires that reflect on it. You look at next year when they come out for your potential – you predict the All-Australians and players to watch out for. The players will be about the players that we mentioned there. When people look and they do the analyst game by game, they're like, well, Sam Managola, we've had an absolute standout year. How come he didn't get the, the respect there? You look at Luke Parker. Why aren't people like Callum Mills or you know uh, Florent getting more of a mention? Because they obviously had great years and they didn't get the, the accolades in terms of the Brownlow vote. So that's where it starts to come out. It mm. starts to adjust people's mindset. And that's definitely why you see that sort of second-year blues and the, that, that uh, catch-up, I guess. Yeah, well, if Christian Petrarca and Jack Steele don't get injured next year, they're going to get noticed. They're going to get more than 20 votes if their teams can make the finals. Uh, and uh, Petraka, if Melbourne make the finals, he's he has to win the Brownlee medal. Like That's pretty much I what think, will happen. I think a big one for me was Jack Steele. He, he came out of nowhere, turned from a tagger to a... Um, and, and taggers generally aren't really well respected in terms of the umpires anyway because they're normally niggling. They're normally... You know, you've got to watch them for different reasons. So to see him turn into the elite midfielder he was and the impact that he had, to me it was really surprising that early on he had so many votes. And I was saying to you, I said, yeah. it's, it's really, I don't know which way, you know, you said to me, I don't know which way he's going to be. I don't know whether he's going to notice him straight away. But by round five, it was very evident that he was getting picked up. And yeah, and I, I thought, as, a, as you yeah. just said, before the 
thing. I had a look through his season again and thought, yeah, he had an impressive season, but not a Brownlow vote-worthy season in terms of he hasn't been noticed before. They don't usually go for taggers. He would have been touted as a tagger for those first five rounds, but he ended up getting votes. So Yeah, it's, it's just really interesting how I'd love an insight. You're never going to see it, but I would love an insight or an umpire to come out and openly, honestly talk about the process. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is the best process in terms of finding out the, the brand loader. We're talking about it this year when clearly the best player of the year has won it. He makes an impact. He made their team so much better. He, they were, you know, a win away from playing in a grand final. Most definitely we're talking about some players that, you know, you know probably were a little bit higher up in the ranks. A couple of years ago we saw some people, you know, win a brand low that probably we've seen in the past that probably weren't deserving of it because of whatever reason. That's when you need to really look at the, the, the process. For the last couple of years they've got it right and they, uh, they will continue to, to get it sort of close to right. But I don't know going forward in the long run if it's the best way to identify that player. It's as bright as you can, and I think that's why the, the Brownlow is so respected because of the history behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the AFL MVP, where the peers vote the best player, I think that's really respected among the players. Uh, it's not ever going to be any bigger than the Brownlow medal. It's great that Lockie Neal won it because he was deserving of it. The The sad thing for me was uh, we knew Lockie Neal was going to win it, and on the Saturday night, that's when they lost, and then he had to get up the next day, would have been disappointed, has to go to the Brownlow and try and keep a keep a straight face, but he he, went, he did really well. I reckon even more disappointing for him is that on the uh, the Monday, when he would have had to have the the team's mad Monday, and they would have had a couple of froths. Oh. He would have had to do all the media presentations into the night. You could see on the, the the Sunday night he did have a froth in hand, and a couple of times you saw the old sneaky hand come in and just right. We'll move that off the screen. And uh, he was late into the night uh, having a couple of interviews. You could see that he had a couple of frosts. He wasn't saying he's intoxicated, but you could see that he was really wanting to get involved with his teammates. His teammates were having a good time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Charlie Cameron Charlie Cameron doesn't mind a froth at all, mate. And yeah. I don't know, I reckon it, with he's out with the boys, his, his missus was having trouble raining <laughs> him in a couple of times. He was on the. You could see that he was on the phone most of the night knowing that he had his, uh, his mug on the screen and I reckon there was a Brisbane Lions uh, chat group going. Yep. With the people that weren't there, just yeah, giving him a bit of encouragement. <laughs> a little bit of, uh, yeah. Come on, mate, give us something here. Give us something. Like he needs a little bit of encouragement at the best of times. Well, yeah, I don't think so. But uh, McCluggage had his uh, tie played with a little bit by uh, Charlie Cameron and then he moved across and then uh, Big Harris Andrews started doing it as well. So the Brisbane boys would have had a good night. Would have been disappointed they lost in those prelim finals. But uh, that is the next thing we do get to talk about. And you'd be up and about, Sauce. I can't believe you haven't even mentioned it yet. No. Uh, so I'm not going to mention it. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I think you might be a bit nervous about Saturday, but uh, we are going to recap the preliminary finals from the weekend. Yes, Pez, you are right. I am uh, excited about the Geelong game. Uh, very, very nervous, but we will kick things off on the Friday night where we had an absolute cracker. Um, Richmond fans would be extremely happy. Port Adelaide fans, I think definitely a missed opportunity for them. We had Richmond win the preliminary final into another grand final, uh, three and four years, winning by six points in an absolute classic. Oh, it was a great game, and uh, we did our uh, in-depth preview of the game, and you kept asking me, so who are you tipping? And I was just going for the interstate teams, go the power, and you're going, no, but everything you said says Richmond win, so who are you actually tipping? And I just couldn't bring myself to tip Richmond, so I was just going for the power. And uh, they nearly had it in the end. Richmond got that 10-point lead, and Port Adelaide kicked another goal to to get back in it. But it was a six-goal-apiece game, and people would usually say, you know, low-scoring game, no good. But it was entertaining from bounce through to the finish, and there were some really good performances. Yeah, a big part of that is that the margin never went over 11 points for the whole game. An incredible final. Um, There were a lot of opportunities for the game to really broken up. Uh, I think Port Adelaide early had a lot of opportunities to put put some uh, scoreboard pressure on. There were some times late in the game that Port Adelaide could have made it closer, but realistically, uh, Richmond bought the experience that we've seen in finals and I think that realistically was the difference that that you know that that poise your word of the month pairs they were able to control the the game control the scoring opportunities and make the most out of every time they went forward and a golden opportunity and that sets up a, another grand final for them that's it another one uh, third in four years just missing out for that prelim in 2018 against Collingwood when uh, Mason Cox did something when he hasn't done anything in his whole career. <laughs> I don't even know why I mentioned him, actually. But uh, Port Adelaide, they, they did really well. They got a lot of inside 50s, but that Richmond defence just stood up and they just couldn't get past and, and couldn't get it finished because uh, uh, they had the opportunities, especially that first quarter. I think they had something like 18 inside 50s. 
Yeah, but you, you speak of the, the defensive pressure. It wasn't just the defensive pressure in terms of the intercept marks. Um, They were dominant in terms of intercept marks. It was the pressure that they applied to Port Adelaide to force turnovers um, when going forward. There were a lot of missed handballs. There was a lot of perceived pressure in marking contests. Um, there were a lot of... Uh, Situations where they, they, I think that they, because of the pressure they'd been applied earlier, that Port Adelaide thought that they had a lot less time and they made some crucial mistakes. And that is just a young, experienced, inexperienced sort of side. And Richmond's defence, even without, um, you know, I shouldn't say a massive name, but even without their, their All Australian from the last couple of years, they are a force to be reckoned with down back. They are, and it's what you talk about is the perceived pressure that you get when you play against Richmond in a game that means something. You saw it in the in the semi-final against St Kilda. St Kilda just couldn't get the ball going forward. Same thing happened to Port Adelaide. They just couldn't get that extra kick. They had 32 more disposals for the for the game because they had to rush and go sideways and try and go forward when they could. But Richmond just set up really well behind the ball. Uh, didn't take too many intercept marks. Toby Nankervis took about four. <laughs> it seemed like it was in one quarter and it just kept kicking kick to kick with uh, Toby Nankervis. So he actually played really well. He he lost the, the ruck hitouts in the middle, but Richmond won the centre clearances uh, and they won the, the stoppages around the ground as well, which is Port Adelaide's strength during the season. Yeah, it was a completely different side than we saw the first week against uh, Geelong Port Adelaide. You said that you know they they really affected how Geelong played. They properly had planned for them, and I'm not saying that they hadn't planned for Richmond, but it, it was a case of they were dictating the terms of the game, and I just didn't see that against Richmond that they weren't really dictating the terms of the game. They were just adjusting to however Richmond allowed them to play, and you can't go into a game with that mindset and expect to win. And and it was definitely a different team that had the park and you, you know nerves and you know expectation but uh yeah richmond richmond were completely on top of them the whole game yeah you you talk about well the first quarter um really impressive by young connor rosie he, he came out on fire kicked a couple of goals and uh he was up and about port adelaide were up and about but they just couldn't get any any kick on and richmond just came back at him Eight away, ended up winning by six points. It was a more comfortable six-point win than it, than it looks on paper because uh, they were up by a couple of goals towards the end and Port had to kick one back. Very hard to kick two, especially with the weather that happened over at Adelaide Oval, which is uh, suiting Richmond. Richmond love that wet weather footy. Yeah, most definitely. It's disappointing we couldn't have a, a clear night to see the two teams actually um, go head-to-head in, you know, not having wet weather adjustments there. Because Port Adelaide, you know, sorry, Richmond, as you said, their, their game style does suit uh, the wet weather and they adjusted a lot easily, a lot more easily. Really interesting though, um, Port Adelaide's, where their focus was, their focus seemed on, uh, you know, trying to rile up uh, Lynch and trying to bring the heat. A couple of undisciplined acts we saw, um, we saw Laddams uh, throw, get reported early in the first quarter, Pr- pretty soft sort of a report, but he still got reported. We saw Rosie after kicking a goal going up and uh, giving it to Tom Lynch, and that's just not what your focus has got to be. As I said, you've got to have focus on yourself and, and worry about things and dictate how the other teams play. They're not the team that you want them fired up. They're, they're not the players. As much as you know, Lynch has been arguably one of the, the more controversial players the last couple of weeks, you don't need to light a fire up a, a reigning premiership, a, a, a two-time premiership in the last three years team, and... I think that's something that I'll definitely learn for. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard as a coach. How do you how do you go about it? Because Tom Lynch is the kind of guy that does things and has brain fates. So if he does something stupid, um, it advantages you. So they've tried to go out and do that, but have they focused on it too much? Is which is what you're saying, um, and didn't focus on themselves enough. You saw it uh, GWS a couple of years ago against the Bulldogs. They roughed up Bontempelli and were able to beat them. They tried to do it again at the start of this season. And it didn't work. The Bulldogs ran all over the top of them. So sometimes it works in your favour, sometimes it doesn't. This time, Richmond get the last laugh. Tom Lynch uh, gets a bourbon and coke thrown over him in his post-match interview, which is ridiculous, but the the bloke's been arrested and things like that. I didn't know the outcome of that yet. He'll get a life life ban from Adelaide. He'll probably get fines. Um, They'll organise something so it's a... He won't get criminal charges, but he'll, he'll get a fine and, and a lifetime ban. But uh, it was how Lynch handled himself with that, that sometimes you wonder why he's such a – plays the way he does. It's on the edge. It's aggressive. But then after, did you see what he did? He, he actually called over to the young Port Adelaide boy who was crying and witnessed it and, and sort of gave him a little bit of a pep talk. And it seems like he can be a good bloke. And he just has to have that sort of – that you know little bit of mongrel about him to, to get the, him out of his football. Oh, it looked really good. And uh, it's rumoured that it's a PR move. They, they just planted the uh, crying Port Adelaide Ooh, kid in there. Oh, and second conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Um, that would be an amazing move. But they did interview the uh, the Port Adelaide father. 
Yep, that, was, that, was, did. that wasn't planted. That was definitely a Port Adelaide supporter. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he did very well. That, he did, that father. He, that's, good not, lesson. that's not how we lose. That's I, not how we lose. I, I love that message because being involved in junior sport for many years, there's a lot of uh, children who don't know how to lose. And uh, if you're going to be parented like that, that's the way you got to do it. Exactly right. And it was really good for you know for that sort of situation to come out of a bourbon and coke being thrown at someone. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty disgusting to see that. But, you know, not that Tom Lynch should expect that sort of things, but exactly what we said. It was He was made out to be the villain and he handled the villain and, and he, he backed it up as well. You know, he, he that's what he needs to do to get the best out of him and, and good luck to him for that. Yeah, he kicked a big goal on the night. Big <laughs> Uh, did as much as Rewald did. Rewald didn't do too much in the night. But one thing he did do is he went hard at the footy and Brad Ebert, when their team was uh, on the, the – the game was on the line, he's gone back with the flight. We know he's had uh, issues with concussion, which is why he wears a helmet and uh, got a big hit from Rewald. Courageous, courageous, courageous. If Port Adelaide had got up and played in a grand final, don't know if Ebert would have got up, but – He's going to be remembered for something like that. Oh, and, uh, you know, you can't sort of look into the future ball and say that that was going to be a goal. But that courageous act, I think, definitely stopped an open goal for Richmond. Because if, if Reward hadn't taken the mark, that ball was spilling right into three or four crummers there. But he actually hit the pack hard, get hit, allow the ball to go out. Perfect sort of thing. And it's what you want to see from your leaders. And it's that sort of attitude and, and passion that he shows when he's played that, that's allowed him to play for so long. And, and it is a shame that, you know, he has come out and retire that because of the, obviously, the amount of head, eri- head injuries he's had. It's not the first time he's been concussed, but would have been an amazing story for uh, for him to, to that act to help him get into a grand final. Yeah, and the, his teammates and the, his fans are going to respect that. Even though they didn't get the win, he actually gave them a chance to be in a position to to take the game into overtime towards the end there. And uh, it didn't happen, so disappointing. But those are the kind of acts, and that shows how much footy means to these players. They're not just doing it for a job. They're doing it because they love it. They love their teammates. Uh, they're doing it for the fans. And those courageous acts is what we love footy for. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, but uh, we had Richmond on the night taking it out into, as we said, their fourth grand final in three years, taking out uh, one poor game fourth in a prelim. Fourth grand final in three. Jeez. Three, that'd, be, three, that'd be good. Three and four, mate. You know, <laughs> settle down, okay? I'm excited about the, the next one we're about to talk about. Getting a little bit uh, excited. I thought you were including about. preseason uh, finals, with it, <laughs> which they don't have anymore. We're not St Kilda, mate. We don't include all those cups. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so really exciting for, for Richmond. Uh, well deserved. They, they have been one of the better teams this year. Disappointing for Port Adelaide. Uh, we will review their season at the in the next segment. But uh, their future looks pretty bright, I would say. You know, had a lot of young stars there that um, a finals experience won't go astray. Well, it, it won't. But uh, 2014, if we remember back to it, performed really well against Hawthorne yeah, in prelim. Only lost by three points. And then they struggled from there on in for five, six years. So uh, Ken Hinckley, he's been there before, done it. So he just needs to get this young group up and about, ready to take the next step because they have to finish top or second on the ladder to, to have a chance next year. And uh, if he can back it up and he gets his players on board, it seems like he does over there. Uh, with the big forward in Charlie Dixon, he does need to perform in finals. We didn't really speak much about him because he didn't really do much. No, and we did talk about it was going to be a battle of forwards and um, they really shut him down. Um, but he... He did well to con- to still make himself impactful. Um, so you're hitting some of those packs hard, you know, really, you know, working up the ground. But you're right, he didn't do a lot, and probably needs to be kicking a couple of goals in a, in a final like that. Yeah, he kicked the one, which was a big goal, but uh, it, the wet weather didn't help him. Obviously, Tom Lynch only kicked one down the other end as well, so uh, no other forward really dominated the game. But Port Adelaide go into the off season, see what they can do. They lose Brad Ebert, who's probably an integral part. Uh, they get another off-season into these young players and it's going to be pretty exciting. Rosie showed up in a prelim final. Uh, you've got Zach Butters who had a really good season. Uh, a few other players as well. You've got the the forwards. You've got Georgie Artis. You've got um, the fellow with the... Terzma, Rosie. The, yep. you, uh, there's so many to name. You, you always forget them, but uh, they're, they're exciting. They're, they're, they're younger exciting. than they were before. They've got that midfield. They've got bit of better culture you can see within within the club, within Boke and how he speaks to the media and how he speaks about his teammates. So uh, best of luck to them, but they are out. They'll be they'll feature in our season over segment a bit later. And we, we should have just floated on there because that, that's half the well, I'll, <laughs> I'll just uh, edit that back and we'll, we'll play that back for we're up to season over. But you are right. Their season is over. Richmond are through to a grand final and they are taking on the winner of the next game, Pez, uh, the Geelong Cats, who surprised a lot of people. Uh, and came out and ended up winning by 40 points in the end. But uh, the game was a lot closer in that third quarter than, than the scoreboard probably said. Uh, Geelong missed some opportunities earlier in the game. Um, and
and it wasn't as bad as it was against um, Port Adelaide the first time uh, and some of the other finals where Geelong has really stuffed themselves in terms of kicking, but it opened up with a high-intensity, high-skill level. It looked like it was going to be a great game when Cameron in the first quarter kicked two pretty decent sort of snags. That first one, whew, <laughs> that looked good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, thought, like I that. thought we were in trouble then. Oh, well, I, I thought the other way. I thought you might have been in trouble but because of your inaccuracy uh, going forward, the Cats, because – they, uh, they seem to dominate the game and they should have been – every time it was close, you're like, the Cats should be up by four or five goals here. So they might kick themselves in the foot. Didn't end up happening. Brisbane got a little bit close because they ended up kicking themselves in the foot, missing a couple of set shots in that third quarter that you do talk about. Um, but Geelong, they, they seem to just dominate the game. 11-16 to 6-6. Six, six, uh, and Brisbane still had a chance in that fourth quarter to take it to 12 points. Yeah, and I think what I mean by inaccuracies is the shots that – they're missing like the score was two five, but it wasn't five realistic points. There was two opportunities um, from set shots that, for me, I think that they're the ones you need to do. So if you had, you know, fifty percent of your, your missed shots with, you know, in that first quarter, it puts it four two, okay, which really breaks open the game. And that's what I mean by wasted opportunities is because those set shots that they miss, and we saw that, you know, we look at when Hawkins went, you know, absolutely crazy. Four of those were gettable goals. Three of those ones that we talk about were rushed behinds and ones off the pack where they've made the poor decision. There was one from Selwood where he's going into an open 50 and he chooses it to put it at the top of the square instead of having a ping and it goes through a rush behind. There was Sam Managola, similar sort of thing, round the body, has a ping for goal when you're like, you know what, there are better options for that. They're the missed opportunities that you talk about, not just um, just a lot of points. It's the actual opportunities that they, 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 they wasted. Yeah, well, speaking about opportunities, uh, Geelong had plenty more. They had 50 inside 50s to 32. Uh, Lions went at 47%, 15, but they just didn't get the ball inside 50 enough. You get the ball inside 50 less than 40 times, you're going to struggle to win a match. Uh, Geelong, 28 shots from their 50 inside 50s, which is 56% efficiency. So that's just incredible, especially for a prelim final. They put the pressure on the Lions. Uh, one Lion really stood up down back. I thought he played uh, one of the best games, which was Harris Andrews. Mm -hmm. Another Lion, the Brownlee medalist, Lockie Neal. It, it seemed like he was a man possessed in that fourth, third quarter and fourth quarter. He just wanted to try and will his team over the line. And they, they could just never get to within single digits to have a real crack at it. Yeah, you know, you spoke of Neal, 24 disposals, two goals, absolutely dominated. But they were losing the battle in the clearances. Geelong were going forward and, and Brisbane were only really scoring or attacking off the rebound, which we know against Geelong, that's not the way to beat Geelong. You've got to beat them in the clearances. And, you know, you're right. The Geelong were on top of them for, for a lot of the game, getting a lot more forward entries. They were lucky that they had, you know, Harris Andrews and Payne taking a lot of intercept marks especially. But that, that again, I don't know whether that was through Geelong blazing forward and just chucking into their forward line, you know, a little bit Hawkins-centric at times, or it was actually defended well. You're right, the game could have really, really blown up for Geelong in that third quarter when Brisbane were coming. And there was a couple of times I think they kicked back-to-back -back goals and you thought, here we go. But Geelong, for the first time in a long, long time, responded and didn't give up a big lead in the fourth quarter, which is super encouraging for Geelong going forward. Well, that's a big word of, of responded. And Chris Scott hasn't been taking any of the questions uh, in the last few weeks about Geelong's finals performances. And uh, they've proved that they're able to, you know, get to another grand final, first grand final in nine years. And they're trying to win their fourth of this century source, as you as you like to call it. And uh, another player you mentioned is Payne. And I was worried when it was, there was a late change and Payne was coming in because he has struggled in uh, recent times in his four-game career. But he played a ripper, had some really good intercept marks, as you said. Uh, a couple of players in terms of uh, Sterovic, I think he made a couple of mistakes. And Leicester as another defender, not just the, the missed shot that he had in the third or fourth quarter, Actually, some defensive mistakes as well that he that he made, and that I guess inexperience of of big moments and big finals, uh, they just weren't able to to get over it. Yeah, and it, it definitely sort of results back to last year where they went out in straight sets. Last year we said the same sort of thing. There were too many players that you know, and passengers not the right word because they they all were giving it a crack there. It was the inexperience. It was the pressure. But they they need to play themselves into form with that. They had an outstanding performance against Richmond. But again, was it Brisbane being on top of them or was it Richmond not being able to get into the game and, you know, missed opportunities? This one here, they didn't do themselves any favours. They, they were from the back foot right from the word go. They needed to, you know, they needed to control those clearances. They made some interesting selection um, decisions going into the game, I thought. You know, the going in with an unchanged lineup would have been a lot more 
would have sent the right message, I think, to, to not only your members but also to the team. It would have shown confidence. They brought in. They responded to Geelong's final against Collingwood. Like you're the team. You're you're the you're not you're the hunted. You're not you're not doing the hunting. You don't need to adjust your things. You need to do the right things to, to make yourself. And, and you know they could have included Coleman in that mix. There was no need to bring in a, an extra big big midfielder like that. So Cam Alice Yolman uh, came in for Coleman, and a couple of no- a couple of times throughout the night, I was thinking Cam Alice Yolman's there. If Coleman was there, what would have happened? Because there was a couple of times inside the forward fifty where a little bit more pace or something may have may have done something. So you think his impact wasn't wasn't that great? Uh, maybe not the impact on the field. I think it's just the wrong wrong message to send your team. Like you've gone in with a week off, you're top of the you know what second on the ladder. You're coming against a team that has previously really blown out in files and have you know the five, last five prelims they've actually lost. And you're making adjustments for them. That, that, that's not that's not the right mindset to be going in there with. Realistically, if you're talking about a bigger body versus pace, what what did Geelong do well? What what's a way that you can beat Geelong is pace. It's not not a bigger midfield. It's you know especially when you knew that Dangerfield probably was going to play a lot more forward. And that's the what that's the bigger body that they're sort of planning for through that midfield, isn't it? Like to me, I just. It sent the wrong message right from the word go. And I think in that first quarter, you could see that they weren't playing with that confidence that has made them so dominant throughout the year. Yeah, and uh, you summed it up pretty well. Uh, we, we said the same, similar thing with um, Port Adelaide and not having that experience. Brisbane, a really, really young side in the competition. So, you know, they could continue that. Well, they need to continue now from here. They won a final, which is a, a tick on last year. And now, what's the process? They have to win a prelim final. Do they have to lose a grand final and then try and win one? Uh, Chris Fagan talked about the process during this week. But uh, Brisbane, very impressive. Their list will improve because people want to come to their club, uh, especially with Fagan at the helm at the moment, and it's been managed really well. And uh, Geelong gets to go into their grand final. So let's talk about how these pussycats had a win. Yeah, so we've sort of spoken about but They, they made um, Brisbane pay when they went forward, not only on the scoreboard, for a change, they were put. They were piling on goals as well, <laughs> well as piling on um, behinds oh, as well. Yeah. But they were, as you said, they were absolutely dominating the forward entries, giving themselves multiple opportunities to score, and they played their game. They they were using the corridor. They were you know sort of swinging the ball from side to side. That defensive um, pressure that they apply through that midfield with Tui and Stewart and Blitzers, they were unreal. They controlled the pace of the game. Something that two weeks previously that they really struggled with. And, you know, they weren't blazing that ball into the, the centre of the ground, down the, 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 you know, the edges of the ground and really turning it over. They were playing their game and they took the time to um, take advantage of Brisbane's uh, inaccuracy in terms of the way that they were setting up. Yeah, and I think another mistake was uh, Daniel Rich and his defensive matchup as well. I don't think he can <laughs> take that on. It's just... Um it was, it was a really strange one. As I said, there was some interesting stuff that happened leading into this game. It was just some interesting decisions like that one. We've talked about, you know, the pain, you know, pain and uh, you know, Yolman coming in. Now, they said that Gardner was injured, had a little bit of a slight knee, but you listen to a press conference right before the game from assistant coach. He said he was right as rain and he was going to play. Now, obviously, that he was never obviously playing. They'd already planned for that. Very interesting with that one. You look at some of the, you know, one of the things that you beat Geelong, you know, is playing your game running a fast-paced game up the middle. And every time they did, they looked good, Brisbane, going forward. Yeah, they had to make that kick. They, yeah, they that, couldn't, that's the kick. Yeah. They couldn't kick the ball down the line because Blitzarves is there, Harry Taylor's there. They can't do that. They had to get that kick from the, the uh, defensive half-back into the centre of the ground and then run and get over the top of Geelong. They did do it a couple of times, looked amazing, uh, but they just couldn't keep pulling the trigger. They weren't confident enough. It's a prelim final. It's a big stage. They didn't want to turn the ball over. They didn't want to be the one. They need to have anyone who's got the ball in that half-back line be willing to take that kick. And that's the belief. It's, it's what we talked about, Essendon, uh, going back earlier in the year, is you've got to have the balls to pull the trigger, and that's the difference between teams that are winning and playing with confidence and teams that are a little bit cautious. And we know what happens when you play with caution. You get exposed, and they did. They got it really opened up because Geelong could sense that. They're like, hey, they are playing exactly what we want. They're not taking that kick. They're, they're defending themselves at times. Yeah, and I feel like uh, we already spoke about Lockie Neal, but when he had that ball on a string and those clearances and a couple of goals in that mm-hmm. last quarter there, he was trying to wheel his team over the line, but he needed other people around him to be taking those sorts of risks. And Lockie Neal wasn't doing that in the first half. Uh, he was a bit quiet, but he came came alive and, and tried to do it. Brownlow medal winner, 
But Geelong, they're probably going unchanged, you'd say? Uh, you, you'd say so. I know that uh, Tom Hawkins had a little bit of a scratchy throat, and you know, great little pun there from the, from the media <laughs> of the Cats. But uh, you would say that they go in unchanged. Um, they went in unchanged to this one. Uh, you know, the inclusion of Simpson at the start of the final series was a, a questionable one for a lot of people. But you He's know, they spot. He's earned his spot. Um, you know, just quickly before we, we move on, just want to touch on uh, you know a range of different players from Port Adelaide that they sorry from Brisbane that need to in order for them to be successful in that game, needed to step up. There, there were many players that had under 10 possessions and I know that Geelong, Geelong end up winning by 40 points, but there's a few players here that you're going to name that you, they just need to have bigger impact. Charlie Cameron, five disposals. Had two in, what, three in the first quarter. He needs to be more alight. Now, I know for him getting involved is, is a direct impact to the midfield, but, you know, pushing up the field and getting the pill and building that confidence needs, needs to, go, to Needs to go up the ground. He, he was playing deeper than other weeks, but he kicks two goals in the first quarter. Don't just stay deep forward because you think that can continue to happen. Geelong obviously made an adjustment. He needs to go up and get the ball further up the ground because he is a good field kick as well. He's great. And getting that confidence, we know how much of a confidence player he is. Go up and get the ball. Get a couple of touches, you know, run through the hands, let it happen. Hipwood had five touches, but, you know, he, he's one of sort of a key forward, similar sort of thing. He had, he had a good mark on the wing, but not much more impact in the game, Hipwood. I thought Jared Berry and Zach Bailey were extremely disappointing for them. They've been one of the, one of the keys in moving that football through that midfield and anchoring that, but I thought they were really disappointing. Yeah, and, and Barry was talking about it throughout the throughout the year, how he's had a good year and throughout the week leading up to the prelim final and he'd be really disappointed in himself. Another one that always averages around this, Cam Rayner, six disposals. He kicked a big goal. Kicked a massive goal. He does some amazing things. Number one draft pick, couple of years under the belt. Is next year his his year to come out and really start to dominate games. Do you think do you think they're playing him in the right position? For him, for you know that bigger, like we talk about that bigger body midfield, he he obviously doesn't have the tank on him just yet. He can make the impact in that forward line, but would it be would it be wise playing him a little bit up more up the ground to get him in a little bit more involved? Because as you said, he's an elite user of the ball. He makes some great decisions. He, he is a bit of an X factor. Just get him involved a little bit more. Oh, I think that's the plan because you did see he, he's come up in the finals, mm. played in the midfield a little bit. Uh, the bigger body, he's he's not scared of the others. He can he can knock around with the with the biggest bodies in the AFL. So another preseason under, getting more time in that midfield, and then being able to go rest forward. Uh, when he was first drafted, uh, compared to Dustin Martin, so if he can become anything half as good as Dustin Martin, uh, Brisbane Lions will be wrapped. But uh, yeah, hopefully he can continue to improve and uh, kick a lot more goals next year. Hopefully, all right. Well, that sort of wraps up. Um the, the recap of both the games, we will talk later in the week um, about the actual grand final preview. We'll dedicate uh, some of the time to, to talk about that on the uh, grand final uh, parade <laughs> holiday. Actually, the what, are they, what are they calling it now? Thank, thank you day or something? I think it's called thank you day. I have no idea, but we uh, get a day off work on the Friday, so we'll, we'll do a pod and we'll preview the grand final. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be definitely good to, to do that. We'll put a bit of time into that. But for now, we needed to get into our next segment, Pez. Uh, something that you love, and I know that I love, because the, <laughs> we talk about that with everyone, uh, segment that we have, we need to get into our season over. And there we have it. Welcome to Season Over, where we give a hashtag summing up the season of the two exiting clubs. We've got Port Adelaide and we've got Brisbane. Now, Port Adelaide played on the Friday night, so we are going to start with them. Need to give a hashtag and kind of sum up their season and where to for these clubs next season. Now, making the final four is a big achievement in the AFL, but there's only one thing everyone's after, which is that Premiership Cup. These two teams miss out on it. Uh, so let's start with Port Adelaide Source. Uh, my hashtag for them is really simple. I think hashtag renewable energy. So we've talked about, um, you know, obviously the power play on them. But I think that their list is proven to be ready-made. they got some really great finals experience. We, we sort of talked about some of the young stars that they do have there and the way that Ken Hinckley has really sort of put in. At the start of the year, he said, it's make all, it's, you know, it's, it, he believed in the list. They, they really worked hard for, for you know, to, to get that sort of respect. And I think that'll go a big step forward. Th their list is amazing, stacked with not only experience in people like Tom Rockcliffe and Robbie Gray, Ollie Wines, Charlie Dixon, you know, you talked about Ebert's impact there. Also starred with some amazing young players. Darcy Byrne-Jones went for his first uh, All-Australian. Connor Rosie, Zach Butters, Xavier Dersma. You had Laddams come into the, to that lineup. I've just named 10 players, all 
there would be a walk-up start to any side. I think that they are ready to go again and they would be expecting a top finish. They maybe top up uh, a little bit, bit here and there, get a little bit more experience in there, but uh, they're good to go. Yeah, interested to see if any players make a play on um, Mr. Ollie Wines, who had a, an amazing season, disappointed the club when he uh, got injured in a, in a skiing accident uh, the previous season, but he had a mighty season and uh, a Victorian boy. So if any club can get their hands on him, That'd be good and a big loss for the power. But this is about the power. So I like your uh, little play on words there. I've gone hashtag solar power. And the reason I've gone solar power is because, you know, if there's no sun, it's not really reliable. And on uh, Friday night, it was raining. There was no sun, not reliable. They only had 20% inside 50 efficiency. So the solar power throughout the day, it lasted for about 80% for them. They'd had that 80%. They got the inside 50s. They got the chances at goal. And they just couldn't get past that defence of Richmond. So, solar power for them. No, I like that one, Pez. And I think it sort of also speaks to the fact that they need all energies, all, all aspects of their game to be firing in order to be successful because they don't have someone like Richmond, where Richmond have that elite back, back line, elite midfield, you know, the different elite aspects. They're sort of good all around the ground. They don't have an elite forward line. They don't have an elite back line. Their midfields, you know, borderline. And I think exactly what you're saying there is with, if there's no sun and they're not all firing, then they are very easily beaten. <laughs> not, not if there's no sun. I'm not <laughs> saying they can't play at night or anything. But <laughs> I know what you're saying. Uh, Richmond, Richmond have Dustin Martin as well. So uh, he's pretty much the difference. If Dustin Martin doesn't play, they, they don't win and Port Adelaide get over the line and play in the grand final. So uh, Port Adelaide don't really have that player that can stand up and do that. They've got Wines, they've got Boak, they've got Gray, they've got players like that, but they need one of these young players like a Dersma or a Rosie to come up and be that big impact player in big games. Yeah, I think the other thing that they need is just a key backman. You know, I, I'm, as much as everyone is, you know, congratulating McKenzie on his job and uh, who's the other bloke that goes down there, Pez, that... Um, they're all they're all harping on about. He's just not making an impact. I can't even think of his name. But you know, against Hawkins, he got beaten. Uh, against Lynch, it is McKenzie. Against Lynch, he got beaten. They just need a really strong elite backman, which which are hard to find. But they need someone to go up against those tall forwards because Lynch and Rewalt dominated them. Hawkins, whilst being inaccurate, dominated them, and that's huge. That's huge going forward for next year. All right, sums up Port Adelaide, the other team that. Did get eliminated was the Brisbane Lions. So same deal. Hashtag and a little explanation of where to next. Here we go, Sauce. You're already smiling away. <laughs> yeah, I like this one. Um, you know I like my puns. Uh, I've gone hashtag why you always lying. Oh. Because they allowed us to buy into that fake news of them winning the first game. Uh, and last year they went out in straight sets. Both of you, both you and I had them going out in straight sets this year. They sort of snuck one of those wins in there. They made us believe, but ultimately to lose by 40 points in a prelim final after, you know, thumping Richmond who potentially, well, they are playing in a grand final. To me, it's a little bit of false hope. And I just think that they need to bring... We can't keep toting on inexperience because, yes, they are young. We said this last year, but this is their second year at it. This was their perfect opportunity for young t- young players, and they were fighting more than for a grand final, a grand final in your home state. That That's against a side that you've already beaten. Yeah, that's why I thought, you know, they'd have that little bit of extra because when's the, when's the next time they're going to get a grand final at the Gabba, like guaranteed at the Gabba, not because they finish on top or anything. It's just because that's where the grand final's being played. Uh, nice hashtag. I've got hashtag young, young cub dynasty with a question mark at the end because you think about Port Adelaide in the early 2000s, they finished on top three or four years in a row and were only able to win that one premiership. So they had to build up to it, build up slowly. Fagan's mentioned it. So these, these Lions, they're not going to lose any big names. They're going to stay together. They're going to, off-season after off-season, one or two years, they're going to be competing for the top four in the next couple of seasons. So if they can get over the line there, but they probably, hopefully if this coronavirus stuff is gone, have to compete in the grand final on the MCG. So can it be a dynasty? Yeah, and and that's the question that you've got to ask. They've been extremely successful. They're definitely, I would say, ahead of schedule, ahead of, you know, the schedule that they had planned probably three years of their five-year plan, not similar to to Richmond's five-year plan, which has seemed to to come into fruition. Nearly three three flags. (laughs) Three flags, just like they predicted. But I think Brisbane, you know, for them, they would be sitting there and they wouldn't be too phased by it. But for me... It's an opportunity that realistically, I think they had to min- they had to cash in on this because if you can sneak a premiership, like you said with Hawthorne, sneak in that little early one, 
unbelievable dynasty and confidence. Brisbane, if they get a bit of confidence and belief in themselves, they are going to be an absolute force to be reckoned with. And they look like they're probably going to get better in the offseason as well. There's there's uh, Joe Danaher's nominated to go to Brisbane. Mm. He's not something that obviously Brisbane need, but having a key forward and having something definitely to kick to and building a forward line game plan around a dominant forward like Danaher, that's going to be deadly considering they've got so many different weapons to, to score for. Yeah, and uh, Hipwood's been really inaccurate. Brisbane have been really inaccurate, so interesting to see where they go next year and what their accuracy in front of goal is going to be because it has let them down. Uh, they do need to finish first or second, I think, to be able to compete for a premiership, get those couple of home finals at the Gabba, and then try and win at the MCG. Hopefully, fingers crossed, that footy comes back to normal. Uh, Brisbane will finish up their source because they'll have 11 games at the Gabba with teams travelling and things like that, so uh, they have to improve. They have to continue to go, but I think they will have a lot of belief and a lot of good leadership at that club is present. Yeah, most definitely. I think that the one thing that you learn through uh, finals and losing in prelim finals is you learn a lot more than you gain. So obviously you gain that grand final experience, but you learn so much more from missing out like this. And, you know, to, to have that sort of, you know, that building and have that disappointment and they've got extra motivation for next year, especially because the grand final is going to be tied up until 2058 and the MCG, so they'd definitely know it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing that they've missed, extra motivation, and it seems like Fagan there, you know, they've said talked about him being a father figure, and he seems like the guy to allow them to respond and have that reflective presence and, you know, the the sort of the, the typical dad mentor where he's going to roast you, absolutely roast you on the spot, but then, you know, the lesson you learn from it's a lot more powerful than the actual roasting. Yeah, and uh, sums up Brisbane really well. And uh, he has shown and been on camera roasting a little bit uh, with with the players, ro- roasting with his uh, yelling and just thinking that, oh, was that on camera? I, I didn't know that was there. <laughs> he knew he, it was on camera. <laughs> he's been really good in press conferences as well. So we like that. Uh, but good news source, we get to stop talking about Brisbane and Port Adelaide. We get to move on from this podcast and we get to look forward to Friday where we will preview in depth Richmond versus Geelong, Talk about things like matchups. Talk about which forwards are going to have a big impact, which midfielders might sneak forward and kick some goals and uh, what the game plans are going to look like. You have to be proud of me, Pez. I've gone this whole podcast uh, to contain my excitement and not make it all about Geelong because... You're not making it all about Geelong because you're nervous and you think I'm you're going to lose on Saturday. Nervous, <laughs> yeah. Especially, uh, yeah, against Richmond at the Gabba. Um, yeah, very nervous, but very excited the same thing. It's, it's something that Geelong have had coming for a while and a bit disappointed for, for me as a fan that it's taken so long to get back there. Yeah, and you can't go as well. You can't. Uh, yeah, that is extremely disappointing. That is really disappointing. But it is good that you know Victoria's uh, lockdown is still there, and we're still sort of kept to our own uh, our own household. It's disappointing we can't have any uh, grand final barbecues. But for me, watching Geelong, I'll be able to watch it with my family, which I probably would have done if it was um, if I couldn't go anyway. Yep, and uh, would have been hard to get a ticket in a Richmond Geelong grand final. It's always hard every year anyway, but. If you guaranteed one, you'd be... Jeez, uh, that, that would have been a be great gold, grand final. Imagine a full capacity MCG. Definitely would have got a, close to the 100,000. <sighs> two Victorian teams as but well. First time It was the first time since... I think it was the first time ever that two teams that lost in the first week of finals have made the grand final. And it's the first time since Geelong's uh, grand final win against Collingwood the two Victorian sides have made it too. Yeah, so history making, but it's not <laughs> MCG. It's not to be. <laughs> <laughs> Unlucky, but uh, Richmond, firm favourites at the moment. You're obviously going to be going with Geelong. Uh, the, the head says to go with Richmond at the moment, but I don't even know who I want to win yet uh, because do you want Richmond to be one of the best modern day teams or do you want Geelong to be one of the best modern and day and teams? And that's sort of what it's at stake a little bit more. It's, you know, that modern day dynasty. For, for Geelong to be able to, obviously they've stayed at the top for so long and not had to, to reload and, and fall from grace. For them to sneak one now at the end, and you say sneak one because a lot of their list is quite young still. Take out, obviously, the, you know, Gary Ablett retiring and Harry Taylor probably going to retire. But some of these other players are still in their prime, probably got two or three more years there to get one... You know, within nine years of their, their last three, it's a, it's amazing sort of... Um, and if they can get that trade for Jeremy Cameron when uh, GWS matched the offer for the restricted free agency, they open their window again. 100%. And you think of how many free pubs are going to be there with this COVID. So, <laughs> yeah. like, that's that's definitely going to help with the salary cap. I'll have uh, Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron. Pretty good forward line. Not a bad one, yeah. No, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> it's not bad. We're going to deal with all that afterwards. I cannot believe the talk in the media has not been about the games. Oh, that's very frustrating. And it's all about the trade week because trade week hasn't started yet. So after the grand final, they've just got to open it up and start doing deals because 
then people can you know keep the keep the lid on it. But they've been talking to players all year. It's not a it's not a secret. Grand final week is one of the best weeks in media football because you get every you get twenty two stories from one team, twenty two stories from the other team. You hear not about this year. It's different. not this year. Yeah, it's horrible. Like you know this year, you know this week when Geelong won, I thought right, we're gonna get the we're gonna get the the Gary Ablett tribute. You're gonna get the Gary Ablett ver- sorry the Dustin Martin versus the Danger. Patrick Dangerfield comparisons. You're gonna get the two elite forwards. You know Tomahawk having the best season of his life. And, you know, a, a young, rising, established forward and that you're going to have all those different things. But and it's Tuesday but and we still haven't had it. We're, we're talking about uh, Essendon's trade week. I don't care about Essendon's trade I think, week. I think it starts on Thursday. I think uh, it needs Gil, to start now. I think Gil speaks to the club, so either sends an email, has a, has a Zoom call and says, hey, all this trade stuff, it's great. You still talk behind closed doors. Nothing is leaked to the media. Nothing given at all. No one's announcing anything. We're focused on the grand final at Brisbane because they're in a they're in an uncharted territory. They're trying to get all these Brisbane fans to love AFL footy, where it's an NRL type of league. And what a way to do that with two Victorian sides. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, not yeah, ideal for them. But it's definitely going to be. It's already sold out. Sold out already. So all thirty thousand tickets are, are sold and gone. Thirty thousand uh, people at a grand final. We've seen that it, that can still be an electric feeling. It's still going to have that aura around it of you know grand final day, the nerves and. Hopefully that sort of same intensity that we've seen through the, the final series. Yeah, interesting to see how it goes in Melbourne because usually there's a lot of uh, house parties going around, a lot of barbecues during the day. It's a night game and you're in lockdown still. So And the Cox plates are on the lead up there. There'll be a lot of people that I don't think make it to the first quarter for uh, drinking in their home and well, having a, a couple of people, A lot of people don't make it to the first quarter when the grand finals I are 10 I know. I, well, I, I was talking to a mate and we normally sit uh, at his house and sit by the bar by about 10 o'clock and we watch the longest kick and we have a, oh, we yeah. watch the grand final That's breakfast, which has year. been moved to the grand final brunch. So it's not the breakfast anymore, it's oh. the brunch. So I think that's on 11 o'clock. So we'll still be able to do that. But for me, it's like... Right, when do I open the first froth? Like, when, when does that happen? Because normally it's about 10 a.m. Because, you know, you're setting yourself and up. And you can't either because you, you're no. one of the team. You need to watch this game I know. with I know. big interest. So Massive interest. Uh, you need to put a curfew on yourself. Maybe <laughs> maybe 4 p.m. you can start. Yeah, I reckon uh, <laughs> it'll be closer to the 4 a.m., mate. There won't, <laughs> be much, there won't be much sleep in the lead up, but... Uh, Let's save that for our next show, Pez. Let's uh, let's sign things off and let's get through hopefully a get uh, into the week of uh, grand final talk. We'll get through a couple of nights sleep, and uh, Friday will be a good show. We'll just ramble on for an hour or so about uh, <laughs> so standard, about really. the footy. <laughs> All right, I'm Pez. Peace out. I'm still sauce. We'll catch up next time, guys. No!